know y'all just got comfy, but do you mind standing for a reading of God's word? Okay, I will be reading Matthew 8, 28 through 34. And if you don't have a Bible, there are those located in the seat pockets in front of you. And please take that Bible home with you if you don't have one at home as our gift to you. Okay, the reading is on page 475. All right, Matthew 8, 28 through 34. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gerardines, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the sea, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold... All the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. This is God's word. Good morning. It's my joy to be with you again and to see familiar faces and some new faces. My name is Tom Hall. I live in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and I get to come here a couple times a year. I stay in uh, pretty constant contact with Mark and uh, Less contact with some of your other leaders, but uh, it's always a joy for me to get to come. And Mark said, I'm home enough that I get to introduce myself today instead of being introduced. So I like that a lot. It's my pleasure to uh, share God's Word with you today. And um, I've entitled today's message, The Day of the Head Crusher, which sounds a little more like a... uh, movie title, some kind of thriller, but uh, what we're doing in this season is we're going back to these wonderful promises from the older covenant where God promised a deliverer and a savior. And we're looking over these weeks at uh, one of the ways of God. God always keeps his promise And he often surprises us how he does it. Right? He's very faithful to do what he said he would do. And he's also very faithful to baffle us when he does it. And uh, we're going to be looking at just one of those examples uh, today. In this season of preparation for celebrating Christmas, um, many of us, if not most of us, do it uh, very much in the spirit that uh, Caleb began our call to worship today. Um, if we could sit down and talk long enough, one-to-one, I wouldn't have to ask very many questions before I found the sorrow or the burden or the darkness that is affecting you right now. Right? None of us is living in the uh, full light of day that we wish we could. 
If it's not our own, it's the sorrow and burden and darkness of somebody we love dearly and bear that burden with them, which, by the way, is part of our call as God's people, is it not? And so everything we've said and sung and read already this morning uh, fits perfectly with the, um, the mindset of approaching the story we just read in a way that will allow us to celebrate Christmas to the full. Because, uh, folks, we live in that constant tension between the light that has dawned and the darkness that persists. The righteousness that has been established in the reign of Jesus Christ and the evil and the destruction that continues to do all the harm it can until that final day that we've sung about and rejoiced in today. In the story that we just read in Matthew chapter 8, I think we find a marvelous microcosm of the encounter between Jesus in His authority and us in our darkness. I want you to think with me for a moment about the larger context of Jesus' ministry and what was going on in just those few verses that were read just a moment ago. Jesus, in all of His public ministry, is really doing one thing, and He tells us clearly in all the Gospels, and especially in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, He uses the language, He tells us what He's up to. Jesus came preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Right? That's what Jesus is doing all the time. He's demonstrating and declaring that the moment, the season, the time of fulfillment of God's promise that His reign would come to earth. And His reign would be effective on earth among men. That time has come with the coming of Jesus. So we interpret all these stories in light of that, correct? But here's what's interesting about the story we're looking at today. First of all, it's interesting where it happened. It happened in the different accounts of this in the Gospels, call it by different names. But it's a region to the south of the Sea of Galilee, just a little bit, just a little bit uh, uh, off the, the south point of the Sea of Galilee, that in Jesus' day was almost entirely populated by Gentiles. It's Gentile country, which you would have had a clue of if you had paid attention that there was a herd of swine nearby. Right? That, that, that wouldn't be something, uh, a Jewish community would be supporting. Agreed? So this is a Gentile community, and Jesus, I love this part, Jesus is bound and determined to cross the Sea of Galilee and go to that territory in spite of the previous story is a storm that blows up that he supernaturally calms just to get there. Jesus is going to take this message of the kingdom to the Gentile world. 
The prophet Isaiah said, the people who live in darkness have seen a great light. And then who does he describe? He describes largely the Gentile populated part of Galilee. Right? Jesus, in his earthly ministry, and by the way, this is the Gospel of Matthew, which is the most Jewish of the Gospels. But even in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is, for his own purposes and and also for his training of the twelve, I believe, he is pressing through resistance to get to people who don't have a synagogue, who don't know the Torah, who are not at all aware of what God's plans for creation and history and consummation are. And that's where this story happens. The boat they're in puts in, uh, they get off the boat, they start to walk toward the nearest town, and on the way they're passing a cemetery. And out of the cemetery come these two crazed men. The Scriptures tell us they are demonized. They have been so... Uh, dominated by demonic power that it's hard to tell what's human and what's demonic. In fact, even in the dialogue, uh, the men speak and the demons speak and it's hard to tell who's speaking, right? And so that's the degree. They have been, they're living in the cemetery. They've been uh, banished from human community. They've been put someplace where they can do no harm to other people, only to themselves. And oddly enough, these demonized men come running toward Jesus. What's that about? Right? Well, why would they be running toward Jesus? Well, I don't know the answer to that question entirely, but I do know that this story grants us an opportunity to look at some really significant encounters. And we're going to be focusing really on just a couple of moments in this story. And I want you to join in looking at that with me. What we'll see together is this. When Jesus comes to crush evil, we can welcome His liberation rather than tolerate our fears. Uh, We have a choice to make this morning. And that is, what are we going to do about the fact that Jesus has this kind of authority. How are we going to respond to that reality? The first thing I'd like you to see with me in the story is how the demonized men responded to Jesus when He showed up. Now, I've already tipped my hand. I'm curious as to why demonized men would run toward Jesus. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? It's not like Jesus went to the cemetery and hunted them up. The picture is they came and found him. And then the words they spoke, I don't know if you noticed uh, when we were reading just a moment ago, this is uh, in verse 29. Behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now let's just look at the, those two questions. Okay, They're asking two questions of Jesus, and let's look at what we know they know based on those questions. First of all, they know who Jesus is. They know He is the anointed, appointed, Davidic Son 
who's come to bring the reign of God. Now, chances are nobody in the town nearby knew that. Chances are the two men those demons were oppressing did not know that. (laughs) But the demons knew. They knew who He was. Therefore, secondly, they knew what He could do. They knew who He was and they knew what His authority was. And their first rhetorical question, it's a little bit idiomatic. What have you to do with us, O Son of God? It's a... It's a dismissive saying. It's something like, um, uh, you're, you and I don't have any business, right? Or probably the most uh, common way we'd say something like that is, uh, uh, that's none of my business, or you're getting into my business. It's kind of what these demons are saying to Jesus. What, why are you messing with us? We don't have, we don't have any open items between us. And then the next question reveals what they mean by that. Have you come to torment us before the time? So they know He has the authority to torment them. They know there's a time. Right? So you see how these questions are revealing? You know, We're reminded of that passage in James 3. Uh, the demons know who God is and they tremble. Okay? So... Maybe we have a partial answer to our question. Why did they run to Jesus? They wanted to know what he was doing there. We're, we're safely ensconced in Gentile territory. Uh, we're bothering Gentiles. Why are you bothering us? And uh, the one thing they are pushing back on is, you've jumped the gun, Jesus. It's not time for this. Why? Because apparently the demonic hordes know there is a day of judgment coming where their torment will be final and eternal. And we know that from the story of Scripture, don't we? What they're surprised about is Jesus seems to be jumping the timeline on them. Right? And that's where I want us to focus today. Because listen, I want to tell you, What we celebrate in Advent and Christmas is that God jumped the gun. God brought salvation in a surprising way and in a way that brings forward into history the defeat and demise of the powers of darkness. And that's a reason to celebrate, particularly if evil and darkness and sorrow and loss are a part of the journey you're walking right now. It's a good time to know that Jesus jumped the gun. That the day of the head crusher has already begun. Now obviously, some of you will know I'm getting that language from a promise of God that goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. The, the, the first hint of God's plan to undo what rebellious men have done to His creation. I mean, this is Genesis 3. It comes in verse 15. It comes immediately after our forebears, Adam and Eve, have doubted God, denied His goodness, 
and rebelled against his authority. And God shows up to hold them accountable. And you're probably familiar with how Genesis chapter 3 is laid out. Once God confronts Adam and Eve and he hears their story, he starts with Eve and then the serpent and then the man. And he describes to them in the language of curses and consequences what it means that they have doubted his goodness and denied his instructions and rebelled against him. But when he gets to the serpent, he says this in Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between your seed and the seed of the woman, and you will bruise his heel, but he, the seed of the woman, will crush your head. And what Jesus is doing in this story is He's showing to Gentiles, which ought to make most of us really happy. Right? He's showing to Gentiles that He has come to deal with the problem of evil and darkness and oppression at the very root of the problem. The serpent and His agenda for humanity. His agenda for history. Jesus has a better plan. Jesus has a plan that includes moving forward the day of torment. Moving forward into history the day of His heel bruising and the enemy's head crushing. And that's what's happening in this story. If you just read the story alone, you won't get the point, will you? If you read the story in light of God's promises, what's surprising in this story is that every devout Jew of Jesus' day knew there was a day of judgment coming and knew that in that day of judgment, the Messiah would uh, in, inflict judgment just like the psalm that we read earlier, Psalm 72. He would come and He would inflict judgment on God's enemies. And human and spiritual, right? Both in the human realm and in the spiritual realm. What they didn't know was how God would begin that project. He would begin that project by becoming flesh and dwelling among us and taking on Himself, according to Philippians 2, the form of a servant, becoming obedient unto death, even to death on a cross. So I've been thinking about that. I've been amazed at this. In the earthly ministry of Jesus, we really don't see any sign that the serpent bruised the heel of Jesus any time in Jesus' earthly ministry until His betrayal. <laughs> right? I mean, he had a seed of the serpent among the twelve. But for whatever period of time Jesus was ministering uh, in his public ministry, he was dominating his enemy. Right? Several years ago, I joined a community choir. I've grown up singing. I love singing. I uh, wanted to do something that would kind of get me engaged with my community a little bit. I was pastoring at the time, so I joined a community choir and 
One year we started doing our uh, Christmas, preparing our Christmas music, and uh, we were singing a song that I wasn't familiar with, and it was from a very, very old poem about the nativity. And um, if, um, uh, if you ever want to look it up, it's I guess it's by its first title. This little babe, now ten days old, or now few days old. This little babe, now few days old, would probably be the. But the uh, the text and the and the song was very violent and very uh, martial, and uh, the the the. Uh, the words of the poem on which it's based are basically describing this baby as invading an enemy. Invading enemy territory in order to conquer it. And uh, at one point in our, uh, most of the people in the choir, you know, eventually found out I was a pastor and so at one point, the uh, choral director, uh, we were kind of talking about the text, you know, and what's all this about, and does it sound like your typical Christmas song? And uh, she asked me, so Pastor Tom, do you want to tell us what this song is about? And I said, yeah, I'll tell you what it's about. It's about kick butt Jesus. <laughs> and that's what this story is about. Amen? It's about... The fact that wherever Jesus comes, He's in charge. In His humility and in His humanity and in His gentleness and in His meekness, He doesn't always show it. But He's always in charge. And these demons, you can tell they know He's in charge, right? In fact, they don't even question whether they're going to be cast out they just say, hey, could you cast us out to the pigs instead of to the atmosphere, right? They know they're beaten as soon as Jesus shows up. That's who the head crusher is. They didn't know, I don't believe, the demons knew that the ultimate head crushing would come at the cross. Because the... Head crushing comes at the same time as the heel bruising comes. Right? But they knew that wherever Jesus was, He was in charge. And because of the kingdom they were representing, they had to leave. I think today we ought to rejoice that that's our Jesus. That the more darkness... And listen, it's, it's hard to remember that the kingdom of darkness is not on the ascendancy. Because it feels that way. Doesn't it? It's a matter of faith for us to persist in believing that the death blow was dealt to the serpent's kingdom when Jesus obeyed His Father unto death, even unto death on a cross. In a moment when we take this communion meal, that's what we'll be remembering and celebrating. That our enemy is defeated and the fervor of his activity is rooted in his knowledge of his defeat. He's under no illusions that he will defeat our God. He is a spiteful, hateful, enemy 
fighting a rear guard scorched earth policy. And it hurts to live in that kind of world. It hurts to deal with that kind of reality. And the only way we survive it is to keep believing that our Jesus has crushed His head. Now, I want you to notice with me another set of responses, and there, or another response, and this is at the very end of the story. So just to kind of re, uh, remind you how it goes, these um, demons are, we're told in another account, they called themselves legions, so there must have been hundreds or more of them. And they go and they inhabit these pigs, and the pigs run off the cliff into the sea and are drowned. The herdsmen then run back to town and tell what they know. And notice, Matthew tells us that what the herdsmen thought was cool was that these men had been set free from demons. It says they told especially what had happened to the men. What had happened to the men? They'd been set free of demons. They were ready to move back into town. They didn't have to be outcasts anymore. They didn't have to be denizens of the cemetery anymore, right? They could be citizens of the town. So these guys are kind of excited. By the way, it's because those weren't their pigs. <laughs> right? Probably taking care of somebody else's pigs. <clears throat> so people come from, from the town come out and notice what it says in uh, the last verse, verse 34. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw Him, they begged Him to leave their region. Is that what you expected? When they saw Him, they, expect, they, they begged Him. And by the way, it's the same verb that is used of the demons when they beg to be cast into the pigs instead of otherwise. We've got two sets of begging going on. And the townspeople beg Jesus to leave. Let's think for a moment. Let's put ourselves into the place of these townspeople. They, uh, let, let, let's say we don't know how long these men had been in this cemetery and how long they had been demonized. But let's say that at least some of the townspeople were old enough to have known those men before they were cast out of polite society. Before they were forsaken. And before they were marginalized. And we're told back up in the earlier verse when Matthew describes these men. It says, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tube so fierce that no one could pass that way. Which means everyone in the town knew to steer clear of the graveyard. I don't care how many of your people are buried there. Don't go there. I don't care how how many times you have to pass it to get somewhere you need to be. And by the way, people walked everywhere. Uh, take the route around the graveyard because there are some bad men there. Everyone in this town had adjusted his or her life to some degree to the fact of these demonized men. There was no one in that town unaffected by the haunted cemetery. Agreed? And so, what was good news for two men 
could have, should have been good news for a whole town. But that's not how they responded, is it? wonder why. Well, I know my own heart well enough to offer a possible answer to that question. And that is this. The people of the nearby town responded when they were confronted with Jesus and His power over evil. They believed what they heard. They saw Jesus for themselves. But they wanted no part of what He offered. Let me tell you what this story is giving us a snapshot of. People who had learned to cope with two demonized men living outside their town, but could not cope with a contractor from Nazareth who could cast those demons out with a word. Am I reading too much in the story or is that what's going on? They could cope with a demonized presence on the outskirts of town. What they couldn't cope with was somebody who marched in off a fisherman's boat and in a moment completely changed the atmosphere of their town's life. You and I look at this and they say, wow. We say, wow, what an opportunity. Jesus came to their town. And yet their response is, um, how soon can you get back on that boat and go to the other side? And I propose to you today that what motivated them is what motivates you and me in much of our lives. Because most of us can say, either in the past or in the present, We have learned to cope with the terror of demonic, evil, serpentine influence in our life. We've learned to steer around it. We've learned to avoid it. We've learned to isolate it. We've learned to um, categorize it so that it doesn't disrupt our daily life, we think. We have in fact not just as is sometimes the wise thing to do um, accept things you cannot change. We've made friends with things that are here to destroy us. And because of familiarity we're more comfortable with our destroyers then we're willing to yield to our Deliverer. And I want to tell you today that because Jesus is the head crusher, you do not have to cope with the the demonic plans against your life whose terror you're spending a lot of energy sometimes You've been doing it so long, you're not even conscious you're doing it. You're spending a lot of energy avoiding that terror instead of welcoming Jesus to deal with it. It is scary. And we're we're just weird people, okay? Can we just admit it? We will live with familiar destruction easier 
then we will adopt unfamiliar deliverance. And I believe that's what these people were doing. I think in the context of the Gospel of Matthew, in the context of the story of Jesus, I think one thing we're seeing here is Jesus is doing a pilot project in Gentile world, and at least this town of Gentiles isn't ready. Now the good news is, as the story progresses, God includes all us mutts in His family, (laughs) right? But I want to challenge you today with this. If you are enduring yet another pre-Christmas season, just avoiding and steering around the terrible and terrorizing things of life, Jesus has come to do better than that for you. He's come to deliver you. He's come to disrupt the um, artificial normalcy you've created to cope with the past evil that's been done against you or the past evil or the current evil you're participating in. Jesus comes and says, listen, wherever I am, I'm in charge. But here's the story, folks. And I speak to you whether you're already a believer in Christ or whether you're considering being a believer in Christ or whether for some reason you just stumbled in here and smelled coffee. We're glad you're here too, but I want to tell you how this works. For Jesus, who is large and in charge, to cast out what's evil, you have to welcome Him to your town. If you want His deliverance, you can't send Him away when He shows up. And in the name of Jesus Christ today, I invite you to welcome Jesus. To deliver you. Deliverance is better than coping. (laughs) Freedom is better than adjusting. When we look further at the story of Scripture, let me just remind you this. If you want to read a really neat version of the Christmas story, turn to about the first half of Revelation chapter 12, where a woman is giving birth to a child and a dragon is waiting to devour that child as soon as it's delivered. It's the same story as Genesis 3. It's the same story as Mark 8, uh, Matthew 8. It's the story of the serpent, except now he's not a serpent, he's a dragon. And the woman gives birth, and before the dragon can touch the seed of the woman, he is uh, exalted to the heavens and given authority to destroy that dragon. And to destroy the entire kingdom of that dragon. And that is our Jesus. As we share the communion table here in just a moment, I want to remind you that part of what you're celebrating is that this Jesus who has given His body to be broken and His blood to be shed 
did so, he allowed his heel to be bruised so that the head of the dragon would be crushed. And then I have one more thing to remind you of from Romans chapter 16 where Paul is encouraging the church at Rome. He's telling them how happy he is about the great reports he's hearing about their obedience and their faith. And he says, listen, I, this is in verses 19 and 20. He says, I want you to be, I want you to be uh, wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. And he says this, the God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. In a moment here, as we express our union with Christ by faith in His shed blood and His broken body, we're reminded that in His magnificent grace and mercy, He has made us a part of Himself so that what is true of Him is now true of us. And between these two advents, He is crushing Satan And somehow, somehow, He's using us to be a part of that. Not only are we no longer terrorized, we're part of the displacement of one kingdom with another kingdom. That is a job promotion by any definition. That is part of what we celebrate here today. It's part of what we long for to be, uh, and, and by the way, the two, because you are in Christ, you experience both the bruising and the crushing. You enter into the sufferings of Christ, but you enter into the glory of Christ at the same time. It's a package deal. It's heads and tails of the same coin, Right? So you say, Lord, I'm one with you, and where you suffer, I suffer, and where you conquer, I conquer. And that is the new life. That is the surprising fulfillment of the promise that goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. So I want to encourage you this morning in this. The darkness that you are Facing the terror that has dogged your steps, some of you for years, paralyzed you from making decisions that need to be made. Does anybody ever get tired of living on defense all the time? And you'd like to finally just go on the offensive. Pursue relationships without fear. Pursue objectives that God has put in your heart without fear. I want to tell you today that Jesus is good enough and big enough. He is the head crusher. What's keeping you from those things is your own tendency to doubt God's goodness to reject His instruction, and to rebel against Him. It's the same problem of Adam and Eve in the garden. Isn't it? 
Good news is, Jesus has borne that in His bruising. And He has overcome it in His crushing. Today I invite you to be honest with God about the sorrow and the pain and the difficulty and the guilt you feel about not being as happy about Christmas as you think you're supposed to be. Am I talking to any of the right people? It's a hard time of year to be going through a hard time. Because we feel a lot of social pressure to be on our game. And some of us just aren't. Can I tell you, Jesus knows you're not on your game and He just as soon you quit pretending. Okay? Now it's not your job to make other people miserable, but it is your job to be honest with Him. When you're honest with Him, when you don't send Him back to His boat, when you're not afraid of His authority to set you free, that's the beginning of your liberty. Let me pray with you. Father, I thank You. Thank You so much for the power of Your Word to remind us that we are We're living in a time that's utterly confusing if we don't have Your Word to guide us through. We don't have the light of Jesus reminding us. Lord, I think about that wonderful statement in John chapter 1. The light came into darkness and the darkness could not overwhelm it. Lord, we ask You to so bring the light of Your Gospel to our hearts that the darkness that threatens to overwhelm us cannot overwhelm us because the light of Your glory and the light, Lord, today, we focus especially the light of Your authority over the serpent. He's a deceiver. He's a destroyer. And You are our deliverer from Him and all of His devices. Lord, I pray today, especially for those who came into this room today with the heaviest and most broken hearts. Lord, those who are so weary from resisting evil, who are weary of contradicting the deception of the enemy. Lord, they know better, but they just keep having these overwhelming thoughts and doubts. and uh, Lord, I ask You in the, with the same urgency that You invaded that, Galil- uh, that Galilean Gentile town, that You would invade this room today to set us free from all of that. And Lord, our choice is to say to You, You're welcome in our dark and broken and confused place. Be who You are. Do what You do. Exercise the authority You have so that we can no longer be terrorized, but Lord, we can be the body through which You crush Satan under Your feet. Hear us, Lord. 
Comfort us, Lord. Convict us, Lord. If there's anyone here today who needs to be delivered like those men in the graveyard from a life utterly dominated by the serpent and his agenda, Lord, we pray that the light of your gospel would break through. Lord, that they would see themselves as the rebels they are and see you as the forgiving father who had a a lamb to slay before they had ever offended you. Lord, we pray that in you they would find what we have found. Forgiveness, hope, deliverance, comfort, and new life. Holy Spirit, do your work in our hearts today through your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask those who are prepared to serve to come to the tables now. And we are going to enjoy this blessing, this gift from Jesus Himself of the table of communion. If you're a believer in Christ Jesus, if you've put your hope and your faith in Him and in Him alone to be your deliverer, to be your forgiver, then in His name we welcome you to this table. Uh, Even if this is not your church home, if Jesus is your Lord, you're welcome at this table. And it's my privilege to remind you that Jesus is the one who gave us this meal by which to remember Him. And I want to do it today in a slightly different way, perhaps. I want to remind you that in this shed blood and in this broken bread, we are... It sounds so odd to say it, but we are celebrating the bruising of our Lord Jesus. (laughs) We are partaking of His wounds because it was the only way we could be freed from the tyranny of the serpent and His way of doing things. Amen? And so, I will remind you that on the night He was betrayed, Jesus took bread and He gave thanks for it. And He blessed it and He broke it. And he said to his disciples in that upper room, This is my body, broken for you. Take it and eat it in order to remember me, who I am, and what I've done for you. And in the same manner, later in the meal, he took a cup and he said to them, This cup, is the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Take it. Drink it. To remember me. Who I am. And what I have done for you. Will you stand with me as we give thanks and then as you come to receive this from the Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus Christ, we give you thanks in this place today that you have offered yourself to be bruised and broken, to be wounded and to bleed and suffer for what rightly 
belong to us. Lord, we thank you that you exchanged all of your privileges for all of our failures. And Lord, we receive this gift from you, this broken body, this shed blood represented to us in these tokens. We receive it to say yes to that exchange. Thank you. Thank you. We say yes. And now will you come and receive the body and blood of Jesus Christ? I'm going to ask you to stand one more time and we're going to uh, proclaim a benediction over you and and release you uh, to go your way. And um, and I want you, you know, we read this passage over you weekly and hopefully you see the connections to what is preached in this word of blessing that that uh, the old testament priests were commanded to proclaim over the people but i want you to think of these words in the in the context of the crushing of the head of the serpent the lord bless you and keep you The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the people of God said, you're dismissed.